welcome to Tiny Voice Talks with me, Toria Bono. And today, Tiny Voice is talking about money. I am sure that you are like me and that every time you turn on the TV at the moment, you see about cost of living crisis. You know, we are living in a very surreal world at the moment in which petrol's gone up, food's gone up, household bills have gone up, energy is just going through the roof. And I'm joined today by a money guru, someone who is going to help us find our way through these times. So welcome, Eileen Adamson. Hello, Toria. Thank you very much for inviting me on. And I'm really, really looking forward to speaking to you today. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm hoping that by the end of this podcast episode, we all have all the answers we need to to not worry about money ever again. Well, I'd love to promise that. Um, I'm not sure I can quite promise that, but I can definitely help you to improve things and to worry less about it and to hopefully enjoy the money that you do have more. Well, that would be perfect. Now, for anyone that hasn't come across you yet, who is Eileen Adamson? Well, I am a teacher of nearly 30 years now, um, which I I can't quite understand how that's happened because I Mm -hmm. still think I'm only about 35, but apparently I'm not. Um, So, yes, I've been teaching for nearly 30 years and I'm a PE teacher, but I also have a love of money. So I retrained a few years ago as a financial coach. And what I do now is I teach two days a week and I do financial coaching three days a week. And I also have a podcast, Your Money Sorted Teachers Podcast. And I also have a BBC podcast um, called Clever About Cash, which I'm not entirely sure how that happened Um (laughs) someone from the BBC phoned me up and said would you like to to help us out and do this podcast and suddenly um, I'm now a presenter for the BBC which was a bit bizarre but there you go. Oh that's amazing though I love the way (laughs) things like that happen BBC I'm here if you need me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'll I'll put a good word in for you Gloria because you would be amazing. Well, you know, I just like talking. Fundamentally, I just like talking to people, really. Anyone that's willing to let me talk, I'm a happy woman. Well, I want to unpick, first of all, how did you get in? Well, you said you're a teacher of PE, but how did you get into the whole money thing? How did that occur? Two things, I think. Um, I've always loved figures. At school, my two Mm. favourite subjects were PE, well, my three favourite subjects were PE, maths and accounting. So I've just always liked figures. Um, And I was somebody who, I was always quite good at kind of bargain hunting, things like that. And I liked money. But I don't mean I liked money as in I liked having money, but I just liked working with money and things. And I I was I had three children under two. I had Wow. Kids. Yep, I know. Not my fault, I hasten to add. <laughs> <laughs> I had twins second time around. And the minute I knew that I was having twins, I immediately started panicking about money. And I was like, how are we going to afford to live? How are we going to afford to put three through university, etc.? And my mindset around money at that stage totally changed. I went from being someone who always had enough money to do mm-hmm. what I wanted to being someone who permanently was worried about money. And I was also stressed with teaching, so cut down my teaching time because I just could not teach full-time anymore mm-hmm. and I started a wee bookkeeping business which allowed me to have more time with the children, reduce the stress but also reduce the amount of income we had. So I then spent a good 10 years feeling absolutely rubbish about money. I worried about money constantly. I said yeah. no to lots and lots of things because I can't afford it. And I can't afford it became my kind of motto almost. And it made me really miserable. And it was it was a kind of defining moment for me one day. I was reading something online about money mindset and about how you can develop a poverty mindset. And I was like, gosh, that's me. 
that's that totally describes me because just the fact that I worried so much about it, I permanently felt poor, even though in actual fact I wasn't poor, I felt it. And I then started learning about money mindset and about the difference that changing that can make to your entire life. So I then trained as a money coach and from then on, I've improved my money mindset so much and I now help other people to improve their money mindsets and I work with teachers um, to help them improve their money mindset and to help them improve their their overall financial well-being, emotional well-being, etc. So that's kind of the journey into how, how I've, I've um, become a money coach. That's really interesting. And something I just want to pick up on is you talked about improving your money mindset. But actually, the the impression I get from that is that it's the, the improving the money mindset doesn't mean that you have to get a pay rise to improve it. So it has nothing to do with the numbers on the page. It's improving how you view money. Am I right? Absolutely right. Because often what we think is, if I got a pay rise, then that would solve all my problems. And therefore, all I need is more money coming into the house. But what you find is that the, the lifestyle creep happens, which basically means that if you bring more money into the house and you don't address the things that you're doing with money, the way that you're feeling about money, then all that happens is you just spend more and you spend it in the same way and you still have this feeling of dissatisfaction and being out of control and things just don't change. Whereas when you address the mindset around money, that's when the big changes take place. But people find that very hard to believe and they still think, I just need more money. Well, I think that's, yeah. And I think the teaching profession, we have, um, yeah, I'm going to speak as a we. We have (laughs) tended to feel, the teaching profession, that we are not paid adequately for the job that we do. Um, You know, and the the latest increase, et cetera, isn't in line with cost of living and and all of that. It's, you know, we, we, we... we, I think our pay was freezed for, I forget how many years it was frozen for. Do you think that that has impacted more on teachers' money mindsets? Because actually, we, we, we naturally feel that we aren't paid adequately. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. Um, I don't think we are paid well enough for the job that we do and Mm. for the stress that we're under but I actually don't think that any amount of money would adequately compensate for the job at the minute um there's other changes that need to take place to make the job more manageable yeah um but yes what it then does is it it leads people into a position where they think I'm not getting enough money in, I'm not well enough paid, therefore there is absolutely nothing I can do about my situation because the problem is I don't have enough money. Whereas in some cases the problem is that there isn't enough money coming into the household, but often Mm. with the case of a teacher, if you look at things differently, if you do things differently, if you take some different actions, you can find that you have more money to do the things that you want without getting a pay rise. Um, and I think because it, it removes a kind of level of responsibility from it almost because we can say, well, it's not my fault. Right. I'm not well enough paid. So therefore, it, it leaves another... Not an excuse, but another kind of barrier to to get over before you actually sit down and look at your own money situation. Do you understand what I mean there? I do completely and utterly. And it's funny, actually, when I was talking about money before, I felt really awkward. And I realized that actually I have an awkwardness 
around talking about money and and everything. And and I wonder if that's common. Is that something that you find that people do feel a little bit awkward about talking about money? People would rather talk about sex than money. Oh, God, yes. I'm up for that. Yes, let's do that. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's really interesting because I hadn't um, – I hadn't recognized it till I started talking. I'm thinking, oh, shall I say this? Shall I not say this? Is this wrong? Is this right? And I found this real discomfort within me. And I wonder, you know, yeah. That, so is that common occurrence when you're coaching people in money? It absolutely is, Toria. Yes. Right. And I think, it, does it come from our backgrounds? Does it come from the way that we are taught that money should be discussed in hushed tones? And mm. it's rude to ask someone how much money they make. And it's it's rude to ask for what you want. Do you know? You'll just kind of get what you're given and don't, don't ask for what you want. So therefore, the, the conversations that we grow up with around money are often very secretive and it then leads us to believe that it is rude to talk about money. And it's not. We need to make money conversations normal because that's the only way that we can learn. And as educators, I mean, we would not expect our young people to just know things and that that is exactly the same with money. We can't just be expected to know how to deal with our money, how we should feel about money, what we can do to improve it if we don't talk about it and don't learn about it. So what I do, I've got a free group for teachers that I encourage money conversations um, and encourage people to talk about money and to talk about it with your friends, talk about it with your family and often when people do talk about it, it's often in a kind of derogatory way almost and in a, oh, well, yeah, I've got all these credit card debts and, oh, but I mean, that's just normal, isn't it? Or, whoa, blooming heck, my, my mortgage payment's gone up, my energy bill's gone up. And conversations are often negative around money. Yes, they are. But what I want to do is encourage people to have positive conversations about money, about the things we can change, about the opportunities we have. Um, and and that's, that's where I think we need to get to, is to make money conversations normal. It's interesting that you've said that, you know, we talk about money in a negative way. I mean, I, I alluded to this at the beginning of the podcast. Every time I turn on the TV, I seem to be inundated with news reports about, you know, the cost of living crisis and how we are absolutely going to all fall, fall apart in it, etc. And it is talked about in a negative way. I have never, ever, I, I don't really hear people talking about money positively. And if I'm honest with you, I'm sitting here thinking, how do I do that? Like, seriously, no clue. So how on earth do I start talking about money positively? One thing that we need to do is we need to switch off the negativity around it. Okay. Because the more and more that we are surrounded by people telling us about the cost of living crisis, the more we get ourselves into a situation where we go, well, again, there's nothing I can do about my personal situation mm. because we're in a cost of living crisis and that is not my fault and there is nothing I can do about it. And what that then leads us to do is to not take any actions that would be liable to help our situation. The, as teachers as well, what happens is we are all very concerned about other people. And we look at the children in our classes and mm -hmm. we're concerned about how they're getting fed, about how their houses are getting heated. And that can also lead us to do nothing about our own situation because we feel so very sorry and helpless for some of the children in our care. We then don't try and improve our own situation. But it's very much like the kind of oxygen mask scenario where we need to put on our own oxygen masks first. We need to look at our own situation and improve our own situation. And from there, we are then more able to help others around us if our own financial situation is stable and secure. However, 
I've gone off track there and I'm not answering the question that you asked. So <laughs> how can we start thinking more positively about money? It is about tuning out of this stuff. So don't read the articles about it. Don't listen to the news about it. Actively search out for positive stories. Actively start listening to positive podcasts. There are some fantastic money podcasts out there that will really help you to improve your financial situation, to improve your positivity around money, and will help you to, to feel more positive about money and to be able to have those positive conversations. So that would be my advice there is just to start tuning out of the the constant bombardment that we have. Actively choose to look for positive things. Yeah. And that does make complete sense. It really does. Um because it's rather like if you go back to the oxygen mask, it's rather like instead of putting the oxygen mask on, what we're doing is we're going down with the plane, looking around to see what, what exactly is occurring, as opposed to actually putting the oxygen mask on. So actually, you've, you've referred to the oxygen mask and you said it's really important that we look at what is going on for us. So how do, where would you suggest we start with that? Ooh, well... Um, what I have done recently is I've created a Survive and Thrive Challenge for teachers. Um, and it was based around helping teachers to identify what's going on just now, what they can then do about it, and kind of help them with actions that they can take around it. So mm. for me, one of the first things that you need to do is look back to look forward. Now, this is often a scary bit because we don't like actually getting into the, the, the bones of what our finances look like. So one thing that I suggest is taking the last month's bank statements, and that includes credit card statements, buy now, pay later, everything, all the, mm -hmm. the money that you owe. Um, then going over that with a kind of fine-tooth comb, going through each and every transaction and grading them on um, three different areas. Mm -hmm. Are they a need? Are they a want? Or do they fall into the category of debt repayments or savings? So there's only those three categories, wants, needs, and debt repayments or savings. What you can then do from there is you can then very, very quickly identify which, how much you're spending on your wants, how much you're spending on your needs, mm -hmm. and how much you're spending on debt or savings repayments. Right. That is helpful because what it allows you to do is compare it to the 50, 30, 20 spending plan. Now, this is not an arbitrary figure that you absolutely have to stick to. What this is, is will help you to identify where the biggest issue is. Now, they say that you shouldn't be spending any more than 50% of your income on needs. 30% should be on wants and 20% on debt repayments or savings. Wait, go back. So if, no yep. more than 50% should be spent on needs. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Now, this is, this is to allow you to create a financially secure future mm. and to allow you to have a bit of balance in your life. So if you add up these figures... And you then look at that and think, oh, my goodness, my needs are costing me 70% yeah. of my income. Then you know that that is a huge issue. So can you unpick for me, what would be a need? So your needs would be your roof over your head. Yep. Um, your food. Yep. Things like insurance yep. would be a need. Um, if you need to travel to your work, yeah, then commuting costs would have to be in there as well. Um, 
it's just the things that you absolutely have to pay. Yeah. Um, and that you cannot, you, you won't bring your income if you don't pay it and you won't be able to live if you don't pay it. Yeah. So that's essentially where we are with that. Okay. Anything that you can live without or anything that you can bring in an income without would have to go in your wants category. And it can be quite difficult to work out exactly where they are, but if you can sit down and do that kind of exercise, it's really, really helpful. Yeah, because, I mean, for me, need, roof overhead, etc. the want, I mean, I have every single package, TV package known to mankind because I love my TV, but actually that would sit in the want as opposed to the need because I don't need my TV packages to survive. Am I correct? That is absolutely correct, Jess. Right. And what you can do with your, your wants is you can kind of categorise them with being wants that I really, really want. Yes. And we'll talk, I'll actually I'll tell you how, could, how to do that as well. Um, what, what I suggest you do with every single transaction. Now, it's... It's best if you can actually grab a bit of paper and write down every transaction from your month because that makes it feel like you are actually taking note of these transactions. Often, if we're just using an app or just looking at a bit of paper, it kind of removes us a bit from them and we don't feel them. Whereas if we're actually having to write them down, Mm. it, it helps you to really focus in on every single transaction. And it's interesting you say that because I think, you know, COVID times meant that we became more detached from our transactions than ever because suddenly we weren't even exchanging money. Like people don't want money nowadays. If you attempt to hand over anyone a note or coins, they look at you blankly because <laughs> we we do the card thing, but we don't even have to put a number in anymore. We just literally swipe this card or indeed our phones. We swipe this thing. So there's a level of complete detachment. And then, as you say, we just then see the transactions on an app. And there's another level of detachment. A hundred percent. And because the contactless is now up to a hundred pounds. I know. Ah, you can very, very easily spend £99.99 without even thinking about it. Yeah. You don't need to... You don't even need to be paying attention at the till. Do you know what I mean? You just mm-hmm. simply tap the card or tap mm-hmm. the phone and suddenly that money just goes out your account. And because you're not thinking about it, it, it doesn't register in your brain. So yeah. you can therefore much more easily overspend because you're not taking any notice of it. How many times do you stand at a till and you don't actually notice what the total is that you're paying for. Oh, yeah, that's interestingly you said said that because I went this morning there's a very nice bakery down the road from me and I went this morning and I got myself something from there and I was walking back and I thought I don't actually know how much I spent. I didn't I didn't register it at all. And it's it's frightening because it was only when I was walking back and I thought, God, I don't actually know how much that was. Yep. And that's that's so common, Toria. You're yeah. totally not alone in that. But if you're doing that two or three times a day, yeah. 20 or 30 times a week, that then really, really adds up. And it can often be these small spends that we're not really registering at all because, oh, well, it's less than a tenner or whatever. Mm -hmm. So we don't register that as spending, but all those little transactions over the month really, really add up. And it can often be people's downfall, but because they're small, because we don't register them, we have got no idea that this is the thing that's causing us the problem. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I know that I t- spoke to you before we started recording and I said, because I've done some of the Survive and Thrive stuff and, and that's it. It's those tiny things that I realized that, oh my goodness, 
that's the stuff that I do because it is just a, you flick the card here and you flick the card here and it's three pounds here and eight pounds here. And, and then suddenly before you know it, you spent a hundred pounds in a day, but you, it didn't even dawn because it's just these tiny, tiny, tiny costs and they coming back to, you know, the needs, the wants and so on. That's just, that's just want stuff, isn't it? That's not stuff that I need. Well, sometimes it might be, but sometimes it might not be. And it it is so difficult. There was research done a few years ago um, that showed that if someone was paying for something in cash or paying for it using a credit card, they would willingly pay twice the amount for that item if they paid for it with credit card. So they value, yeah, yeah, they valued items at twice as much if they paid for it with credit (gasps) than if they paid for it with cash. Now, there's been no research done around contactless payment, but I think that that will make that situation even worse. Yeah. Because there's just that other level of detachment around it. And I think it is awkward, the fact that, you know, nowadays when you do attempt to give cash to the cashier, they do look at you strangely because, and and there are some places there, I went to um, out for lunch with friends and there was, a, and they didn't accept cash at this establishment, which I thought yeah. was, this, it was just like, no, we don't do cash. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. And it is, you know, when you are paying money across, there is a level to which you're, you know, engaging with passing that money over it it's real but it's so different you're completely right with the contactless payment completely different wow Mm -hmm. yeah spending cash feels much more painful so do you I'm interested in you do you get money out like cash out to spend or do you use contactless I use contactless um and I'll tell you why I mm-hmm. managed to use contactless and not overspend. Okay. Um, so what I do is I use a kind of values-based spending. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am very, very aware of my spending. So I'm trying to think how to explain this best. Let's Let's go back to looking at your transactions. And I have done this... Um, I've done this exercise a few times in the past to the point that I now don't need to do this anymore because I just automatically think in this way. So if you take all your transactions from the last month and go over every single transaction, give it a mark out of 10 for how much value it has added to your life. So I let's say you went out and you bought a coffee and Mm -hmm. a cake and spent time in Costa or any other um, establishment having coffee and a cake with a friend. So maybe you spent 10 quid or whatever. Yeah. How much value would I give that? Well, I would actually give that 10 because I really, really enjoyed spending the time with my friend and that tenor was really well spent because we spent an hour and a half sitting blather and I felt so much better after it. Would I do that again? Yes. So it gets a 10 out of 10 for how much value it added to my life. Mm. And it's getting a 10 out of 10 in the next column for would I do this again? Big that makes so much. Yeah, makes complete sense because it's yeah. actually going out for a coffee has a different value dependent on what the circumstances around it are. That makes so much sense. Yes, do carry on, sorry. Totally. So let's take that same coffee that I grabbed on the way to work because I was just running late and I just needed a coffee. I spent exactly the same amount on that coffee. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did I value it? No, I didn't value it because I was stressed and I was just driving through the drive-thru, getting the coffee, going to work. I only drank half of it because I was driving and whatever. That has a completely different value to my first coffee. So it's about going through all your transactions and giving them a value, giving them a mark out of 10 for how much value they add to your life, for how happy they make you, how relaxed they make you, um, how much better they make you feel. So let's take an example of... You were talking about your TV packages. Oh, yes. So 
if you go through your TV packages, could you give each of them a mark out of 10 for how often you watch them or how often, what what programs you're watching? Some of them you may think, oh yes, absolutely. I absolutely love that half hour that I spend watching Mm. that. But you also might think, well, do you know, sometimes I watch that channel, sometimes I don't catch it. Would I really miss it if I didn't have it? Don't know. So we could maybe find that some of the packages would be marked less than others. And that then lets you see which ones you could cut from your life without missing out and without feeling that you were missing out. Yes. And that makes complete sense. Funnily enough, my daughter and I were talking about it yesterday because there's there's one package that I've got that neither she nor I like at all. Um, but, but my husband spends his life watching it. So actually, if he was doing his value thing, it would be high for him, but it would be very low for my daughter and I. But I think it's really interesting the way I know that there are certain things that we've got within our TV package that none of us are that bothered about and we could actually cut it. But it's it, the interesting thing is that as a family, family, we really value the TV. And I think that's where different families come in because other families I know don't value the TV at all and couldn't see why we would spend money on the TV packages. But it's individual. And that's what you're saying. It's individual values. 100%. It's about not getting caught up in what other people are doing. Yes. Yes, And it's about being so focused on what matters to you and what matters to your family. And if you spend on the things that really, really matter to you, that really make you happy, then you're on to a winner. Whereas if you're wasting money on things that actually hold no value for you, that they don't make you happy, they, they don't add to your life in any way, then you may as well throw that money down a drain because it is just wasting money. And doing a values exercise, looking through every single transaction, giving it a mark out of 10 for how much value it's adding, then giving it a mark out of 10 for um, whether you would make that purchase again, can very, very quickly help you to identify what is not important that you're spending money on and what is really important that you're spending money on. And often what you can find is that because you are cutting out the things that are not important, it then gives you more money to spend on the things that are important. And when I started doing this, I was at the point that because I felt really poor and really skint, we were saying no to weekends away with friends. We were saying no to going on holiday with friends because I can't afford it. I can't afford it. It was just my mantra. But what I discovered was that I was spending money on things that didn't matter to me. And I always think back, it was at a time where skinny jeans were very trendy. And um, I remember looking in my wardrobe at one stage and I had six pairs of blue skinny jeans. Mm. Now, that is just nonsense. I then thought, well, why am I spending money on that? Because it's not adding value to my life. Yeah. And one pair of skinny jeans would do me just fine. Wear it with a different top, wear it with different shoes, and they're absolutely fine. Nobody even cares or notices. But what I discovered was by by really drilling down into my spending and finding these things that meant nothing to me, that made no difference to me or to my life, I then had more money to spend on holidays. And suddenly it wasn't, I can't afford it. It was, ah, no, I can afford it because I've stopped spending on these other things. Yeah. What's come up for me when you're talking actually is we live in a world where it's very much um, keeping up with the Joneses. You know, we we live in a world where we look at what someone else has got and we think, oh, yeah, we should have that. So going to back to the skinny jeans, you know, that was the era where everyone had three million pairs of different skinny jeans, one for every occasion, because that's what everyone else did. But that's right. You know, and yeah. And what you're saying is, no, what we need to do is we need to move away from that keeping up with 
everyone else and actually looking at what we want. What do we want in our lives rather than trying to keep up with what the person next door's got, what someone at school's got or whatever. And actually it's just about what we want. Yeah, totally. Because what then happens is when we get stuck in this kind of keeping up with the Joneses cycle, we look on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. um, We look and see what other people have got. Mm. And suddenly you look at the number of outdoor outdoor living areas that have all crept up since COVID. And mm. suddenly you, you don't just have a barbecue outside anymore. You need to have the full sofa and um, covered eating area and lots and lots of stuff outside. Now, if you spend a lot of time in your garden and that makes you really happy, brilliant. Mm. But if you're somebody who likes to sit and watch the telly at night or who doesn't really like sitting outside, then that sort of thing does not add value to your life. But because we see other people with these things, we think that, oh, I need to have that too. And you can often be sitting scrolling social media and suddenly find yourself going shopping looking for whatever it is that you have seen. But what happens is you then upgrade something, somebody else then upgrades and gets something better. Yeah. And you're then stuck in this competitive spending with people who are spending to keep up with you, but you're then spending to keep up or go one better than them. And then that cycle just continues and you're never, ever actually happy. So getting focused in on what makes you happy, what makes your family happy is literally the only way to go. And what I find amazing about it is I used to have kind of jealousy over other people and what other people had Mm -hmm. and not necessarily jealousy, but envy, envious and and kind of covet what other people have. Yeah. Now I genuinely look on social media or look around other people. I genuinely do not care what other people have mm. because I know what it is that makes me happy, what it is that makes my husband happy and our children happy. And rather than then feeling that you are missing out on things, you're just so focused on spending on the things that make you happy that you don't feel you're missing out on anything at all. And it's such a powerful place to be. But the first thing you've got to do is be brave enough to have a look at your spending and see exactly where you are just now. Wow. You did promise at the you know, beginning of the podcast that you would really help us to feel more positive around money. And I'm sitting here, I feel myself sitting taller talking to you, actually. <laughs> I really am like, yeah, let's go for it, people. And I do, I feel quite empowered, actually. So I know that you use social media. I know we met through social media. Good. What would you say about, you know, like when I'm on Instagram or, you know, on TikTok, there is so many people promoting so many things all the time. How do I avoid that or do I avoid that? Or, or will it just, the more I feel positively in my sort of value set, will that just diminish? It, it totally diminishes, honestly. Okay. You get, once you get used to this way of spending and once you get used to this way of thinking, these things don't even come into your radar. And what you what you can then do is I still sometimes find myself getting a wee bit dragged out, but mm. I then I'm very, very quickly able to identify that because becoming very aware of how you feel about money becoming very aware of what is happening to you. So, for example, if you then see something that you think, oh, I really want that, they've got that, and I really want that, normally we're not aware of how we think about that. So Mm. we just suddenly find ourselves on a website buying something. But if you become aware of it, you notice that, ah, wait a minute, what am I doing here? Why am I feeling like this? Why am I doing this? 
because I know that this doesn't make me happy. And you can then pull yourself back from that rather than that whole, oh, here I go, type, 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 right? I'm having that. I want it in that colour and that colour. You just become aware of yourself, the way that you feel, what your triggers are. Yeah. And you can then pull yourself back from that and be able to stop that type of spending. Yeah. Wow. So we don't need pay rises. We don't need more money in the bank per se. It's very much about changing our mindsets and looking at what we are spending on. But what would you say, what is your message? And I hate to go back to this cost of living crisis business, but what is your message to those people that are struggling with rising energy bills and everything else? Do you have a message for them? Yeah. So uh, I wouldn't say that we don't need a pay rise. I would say that teachers do need a pay rise. Okay. Um, and lots I'm, of I'm other- glad that you're saying that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and lots of other people do need a pay rise. What I would say is that you can give yourself a pay rise at the minute by going through that procedure and by yeah. kind of looking at the survive and thrive thing, you can um, make, your, make yourself cope better. But in terms of steps to take with this cost of living crisis, What I would suggest everybody tries to do now is tries to create themselves a small emergency fund. Um, Now, I would recommend an emergency fund of around about £1,000 because that Mm -hmm. helps you to deal with anything that comes up. Um, In terms of that, rather than thinking, how am I going to get that out of the the money that I'm bringing in each month, can I... Have I got anything that I can sell to create that? Have I got things around the house that I can yeah. sell? Can I get an extra, can I get extra income from anywhere? Can I check my bank accounts to see if I've got money? Do you know how sometimes we have little pockets of money hidden? Things like that yeah. help. Other things that help with that um, plum is a very, very good little savings app that attaches to your bank account and just... It saves money for you mm-hmm. each, every few days. It's a really good thing to do. Also using Roundup, which um, every time you spend, it then takes a little money. And so if you spend £5.25, it might take the extra 75 pence and pop it into an account for you. You think these things don't help, but they actually do help. So, so trying to create a little fund of emergency. The second thing I would suggest if you have got debts just now is look at trying to transfer them all on to 0% um, interest. So doing that by going to Money Saving Experts soft search calculator, because what that does is that compares all the different options that are out there and shows you how much chance you've got of getting a certain um, card rather than applying for different ones and being rejected which looks bad on your credit score um, if you can find this soft search tool it it is very helpful in identifying where you could perhaps move dates to normally I would be suggesting that we get dates paid off as quickly as we possibly can but if you're struggling for money just now then this is not the time to be paying off dates. It's mm-hmm. the time to be switching them on to um, 0%. What I would then be looking at doing is going through this, the 50, 30, 20 that we talked about at the beginning is really drilling down into your spending to try and find where the issues are. Um, we've got things like if if our needs are really high, then things like using your mortgage to think about checking, can I get a better deal on my mortgage? Mm -hmm. Some people are still stuck on um, higher fixed rates from years ago. Could we switch rates? Could we get a better deal on our mortgage? Um, that's, That's often a big a big one. It's slightly more difficult now that the interest rates are going up, but it's certainly something to check. 
Also look at seeing if you can get better deals. Normally, I would be suggesting better deals on energy providers, but at the present minute, there really are no deals to be found. So with energy, what I would be trying to do is reduce consumption as much as possible. Um, Now, I saw something the other day. I've got two student daughters um, who are both in flats in Glasgow. And somebody was suggesting the other day that you can buy wee solar-powered LED lights and using them in your bedroom. So rather than using your big light in the bedroom, it's mm-hmm. getting wee solar-powered energy curtains, which basically hang down so that wow. they give off quite a lot of light, pop the wee, um, pop the wee solar panel in your windowsill, and that might be a way of lighting your bedroom without using the 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 electricity. So that was but these these things are priced at like between six and mm. twenty pounds. So maybe maybe that might be something that would be worthwhile. So things like googling to find out how can I reduce consumption because that is really the only way around these energy bills yeah. at the minute. With our other bills, broadband, um, TV, mobile phones, etc., really, really think about comparing options and seeing if you can get a better deal because there yeah. really are good options out there. What I would suggest you do is you do your research, look online, see what kind of deals you can get. If you're not keen on switching provider, And even if you are keen on switching provider, what I would suggest you do first is give your current provider a chance to match what someone else would would give you. Get through to the retentions team, which is the team who deal with um, trying to keep customers. Just ask to be put straight through to them and say, look, what is the best deal you can give me? I can get this online. Mm -hmm. Um, and you match this. And often you'll find that your providers will match um, okay. other deals. It's it's less hassle than changing provider and it's a way of cutting bills. So do that for everything. Um, things like food shopping, um, batch cooking. The batch lady is absolutely fantastic. Follow her. She is brilliant. She's got lots of good ideas, which are great for teachers because mm-hmm. it's about... Um, planning food and it's about um, reducing the time and the cost of food. Using the kind of budget supermarkets, they are absolutely brilliant nowadays and it can really help to to cut back your costs as well. So yeah, that's some ideas about how to to cope. Um, Yeah, so many great ideas. Absolutely brilliant. No, thank you. And I think, you know, I mean, there are so many ideas that you sort of just flagged up there. But the one that I have often been thinking about recently is the the selling, because there are so many good apps now for selling things on. And yet what I find is we just accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And then I don't know about you. But every so often I'll have like a skip time where I take everything to the, you know, the local sort of refuse site instead of actually looking at ways to pass it on and and make money out of it. And I think that, you know, that that has been for me a level of laziness. Does that make sense? Uh, Totally. Yeah, of course. We're busy people. um, It just is something else to add to the list of things to do, isn't it? If you've got got a a teenager in the house, they're often quite useful for um, perhaps paying to to do something like that for you, to list things. I do. I have a 15-year-old and she's good at that. Right. There you go. There we go. We've sorted that. So my daughter's now sorted with, yeah, because she'd be really good at that. And yeah, she could get a percentage. Nice. Yeah. Liking yeah. this. Absolutely. And if you don't have someone that could do that for you, um, what I find is the likes of Facebook Marketplace is quite mm. good and quite quick at getting rid of stuff. Yeah. Um, eBay, Vintage, you sometimes get more money, but things then end up sitting around for longer. So it's just a case of working out what works best for you. Um, 
even even the clothing bins, you can sometimes find there's clothing places that you can take big bags of clothing and they'll pay you a bit for them. Yeah. But yeah, these things, if you are struggling for money, then these things will help you to just have to maybe build a wee emergency fund or to just help you to get the things that you really want um, by by selling some of the things that you've already got that you don't want. Yeah. Oh, goodness me. You have just filled me up. I just feel like I've, uh, honestly, the amount of notes that I've written down for myself <laughs> during this conversation, I've, I've got I've got a whole book. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant, Eileen. Now, before I let you go, you have to answer my final question that I always ask everyone, which is, if you could have been taught by anyone, living or dead, who would have been your perfect teacher? I think for me... Barack Obama. Mm. I just absolutely love the his whole demeanor, his whole ethos, his uh, just his ideas, his integrity. Um, yep, I think for me, Barack Obama has got a lot to offer the world, and I think he would have made an amazing teacher. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I really couldn't. Now, listeners, um, the details for how to get in touch with Eileen, etc., will all be on the show notes, um, including her Facebook group and so on. Um, and Eileen, it's just left me to say thank you so much for giving up your time and coming on and talking about money with me. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Tori. I've thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with you. And I just hope that it's of use to some teachers out there. I have no doubt that it will be of use to every single person that listens. I really do. So thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>